This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest on the show today, uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, who is the founder and spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Center, a trans-denominational community headquartered in Los Angeles, comprised of thousands of local members and global live streamers. This November marks Agape's 30th anniversary, and I have to say, Reverend Michael, that uh, I I am not in Los Angeles, but I've had dozens and dozens of people uh, I know say, when you come to Los Angeles next time, make sure to go to the Agape Church. It will change your life. So uh, you were very <laughs> you, you well def- known to Dennis, me. Dennis, you definitely have to come. People, um, they make it kind of a destination point for their conferences and vacations. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. just to come into the come into the field, and it was last November that we celebrated our 30th anniversary, and wow. coming up will be our 31st. And uh, time flies, and I can't believe I've been <laughs> doing that that many years. <laughs> I promise you, as, I will be there. As somebody who was at the place on Olympic before you were at your current place, uh, yeah, time flies, doesn't it? Uh, I can't even, I can't believe it because I'm just so into it, you know, day by day by day by day, the years have crept up and I'm still the same age uh, 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 chronologically, (laughs) biologically, I'm still, I'm still a young man. I know. (laughs) Um, Well, let's, let's talk about that actually, because um, we'd love to have our listeners hear a little bit about how you came to your work and into your ministry and you've had to say the least. You had a very interesting life leading up to it, and uh, can you give us a little overview of how this all came to be? Well, it was, um, you know, a number of years ago. Um, I, I don't know where to start. There's so many layers to, to 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 my awakening, but I was attending a USC at the time, psychobiology major, and I began to have a series of inner experiences that, uh, because I was not consciously on the path at that time. They seemed uh, more, more or less pathological. I was in the psych department at USC, and I was seeing things, hearing things, seeing visions, traveling uh, outside of my body, and and these experiences cul- it lasted for over a year, actually, and um, yeah. <clears throat> culminated with uh, these men in a lucid dream who had been following me on a nightly basis, by the way. Um, Two men grabbed me, and one man plunged a knife in my heart. And that the pain, physically, was excruciating, and emotionally was excruciating. And I and I died, in the dream. And when I woke up, I could see that we were surrounded by this presence, of such love and such beauty and such intelligence that the beauty is beyond the description, and the love penetrated every cell of my being, and the trajectory of my life changed from that moment on. I uh, I began to pursue what had happened to me, and then, of course, in that pursuit, uh, bumped into the mystical teachings of Jesus the Christ and Paramahansa Yogananda Ji and uh, Sri Aurobindo and a number of other uh, uh, spiritual teachers and and and, and the different paths that showed uh, many people had had a, a similar encounter that uh, allowed them to see differently and, and change their life. And I've never looked back from that particular moment, and I have the same depth of, ins- of enthusiasm that I had back in the 70s today when I wake up. Uh, mm-hmm. The same uh, 
availability to what wants to emerge in me. And that's a short version of, of, of what happened. You know, there's a, a lot of things going into that. But uh, after that particular experience, and then there were subsequent experiences, of course, that have happened. But the initial one uh, set me on the path to practice meditation regularly, um, <clears throat> affirmative prayer regularly, uh, different spiritual technologies, and life visioning emerged uh, as, a, as a technology that I, that I created, originated a number of years ago. And I've been moving ever since, Phil. Yeah, yeah I know. Reverend Michael, yeah. when uh, you first had these visions, when you first had this spiritual awakening, uh, your family, your friends, those around you, how did they react to it? Well, I wasn't really talking too much about the experiences when they were happen happening because I thought I actually thought that I was losing my mind. I was uh, my 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 sanity was in question, and so and I was in the psych department and I'm reading about uh, pathology. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, uh, and I'll tell you an experience. I I had an internship in a mental facility, and we had we would go in and we would interview the the the, the patients that were you know, locked up there and make our reports and, and this type of thing. And there was a young man that was I was playing ping pong with and having conversation about his life. And as I was playing ping pong with him, it finally dawned upon me that we hadn't spoken in minutes, that we were speaking telepathically. Mm -hmm. And he was sharing with me about this cosmic awareness he was having. And, and when I realized we were not speaking, I got so nervous, I put the ping pong table paddle down and checked myself out because I realized something was going on. So back to my friends, I lost every friend that I had hmm. after this particular experience. Um, they all thought I had freaked out. Um, they said they, they thought I had freaked out on Jesus, and, and um, I was not the same. Uh, my priorities had shifted tremendously, and what I was concerned about was just the conscious connection with this presence and what my life was to be about now that I knew this was real because I was coming from somewhat of an agnostic or atheistic point of view. Uh, I had left the church when I was 16, didn't want to have anything else to do with it. Uh, when I attended Morehouse College, I was an atheist. It was very revolutionary. I was a re you know, <laughs> wanting to change society. And so this, when this happened, it was a sudden shift of which I was not consciously participating in because I didn't believe in all of this. I didn't have any disbelief. I didn't have any belief. And um, so obviously some seeds opened up with me and within me some, from some previous work I had done, you see, mm -hmm. and, and flowered. And um, so, yeah, my, my friends thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I, 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 I was uh, <clears throat> attending USC. I was... Um, I had gotten arrested uh, for um, on my last deal of selling marijuana, <laughs> and um, I won't go through that whole story, but suffice it to say that I was told inwardly that I would walk away from this scot-free, and people thought I was crazy. They thought I was going to go to jail, and I said, no, I've been told inwardly, and I went to court, and... Um, through some technicality, everything was thrown out hmm. as if oh. I, I, exactly the way they told me was going to happen. And uh, I, when that occurred, I, I surrendered my life to the presence 
and just dedicated my entire life to um, uh, growing in this ever-expanding awareness of my oneness with the presence mm-hmm. and being of service to it. I, um, just to complete the circle with um, your your uh, history, um, I know your your work at Agape is very uh, independent and very eclectic, and uh, but at a certain point you became ordained in uh, what was then called the Church of Religious Science. It was the United Church of, of Religious the United Church of Religious Science. Yes, and the so denomination in religious science is the teaching. What drew you in those days to religious science or science of mind? Well, I had been independently researching and going to meditation retreats and studying on my own. And my mother, who was involved in the science of mind, uh, invited me, and a lady by the name of Alyssa Sprinkles, which is a great friend of the family, invited me to the Guidance Church of Religious Science. And I wasn't too high on going because I can remember uh, the church's that I went to as a kid weren't all that high on truth-telling. It was more, mm-hmm. um, you know, myths and, uh, you know, just, just dogma. So I decided to go with them, and we arrived a little bit late. I was walking down the aisle, and the minister said, I, I, can, I can hear it to this day, heaven and hell aren't merely places, they're states of consciousness. And I said out loud, he's right! And I must have been like 22, 23 years old, you know. Um, And I said, he's right. And everybody looked at me, this young whippersnapper walking in there saying, he's right. And I sat down and I listened to him speak. And he was speaking about what I knew to be the truth, that this presence was within everyone. And, 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 And this presence was everywhere. And that heaven and hell are states of consciousness. And, and, um, the next day, I sat in front of him when he was teaching a class, and he looked at me, and he asked me my name, and I told him, and he said, well, this is a 15-week class, and we're already in week, week seven. seven. So I, 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 I advise you to, to leave the class and to come back when we start over, and I said, I will not. I'll complete this, and then when it begins again, I'll, I'll commence with you. And he said, okay, Mr. Beckwith, have it your way, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And so... Um, he was a great, uh, he was a great uh, metaphysician, and, uh, and, and the metaphysical teachings corroborated with you know, the mystical teachings of the ages, and so it became well, a wonderful haven for a young man uh, to take classes, to be around people who were uh, studying this kind of material, and I continued my own uh, study and, and my own meditation practices. Right. So that's what drew me in. It was his understanding mm-hmm. of, the great, of, the great, of the great perennial religion. Reverend Michael, I wanted to ask that. I'm curious. So you had these internal experiences. You were a student. You got some guidance. You got a teacher. Uh, At what point did you think to yourself, or did it naturally happen, that I have to speak this out to others? I have to help others? Because you've dedicated most of your life to uplifting the consciousness and and the the quality of life of other people. did that come uh, suddenly, or was, did, did you naturally evolve to the point where you thought, I have to share this with others? Well, two things occurred. One, um, there was a period of time in which I was unemployed. Um, I had worked for a, a city councilman for a number of years, the councilmanic aide, the director of senior citizens affairs in, in a district here in L.A., and, 
and that tenure was up. And I, I remember sitting in my living room saying, okay, what would you have me do? The phone rang. There was a woman on the phone. Her name was Sheila. And she said, I saw your phone number in the high school annual. We went to high school together. And I was guided to call you. I'm going through some problems. And I was guided that you could assist me. Hmm. So I began to counsel her and pray for her. She would send donations to me. And um, subsequently, I saw her at a restaurant uh, probably about four or five months after this encounter. And she saw me and got nervous and left because she had revealed so many things about her that was, she was just speaking into the phone to this anonymous person mm-hmm. she used to know in high school. And <clears throat> so I realized there was a, th- th- that I had a gift. And, um, and in the uh, Church of Religious Science, they have an ecclesiastical office called the Religious Science Practitioner, it's a spiritual therapist. And so I was already taking classes, so I continued to take classes and eventually became a spiritual therapist. And I actually did that for about seven years. I saw six to eight people every single day, six days a week, working with individuals one-on-one. Mm-hmm. That emerged with me doing workshops and then seminars and then guest speaking. And at the time, I thought that was enough. I, 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 I liked my life. I liked what I was doing. A lot of healings happened. But I was getting guidance to start a bigger work. And at this time, now I'm, I'm the director of education at the World Ministry of Prayer. I'm teaching at the faculty at the university. I have my own private clientele, workshops. I thought that was enough. And But the inner guidance kept saying, you're, you're doing a good work, but it's too small. We need you to do something else. This is what was coming to me. And I, was, I resisted it for a couple of years. I didn't want to do anything else. And finally, my world that I was in shrunk. There was a lot of hostility politically where I was working, jealousy. So many things began to occur on so many levels that I was literally pushed out of that cocoon and had to start the work. I went to Puerto Vallarta on a vacation, and I had a vision. And the vision was agape. I could see it. Mm. So when I came back to the office, I told the... um, one of the directors that uh, I was called to start a work and that I'd be uh, t- tendering my resignation after I trained my replacement. And the woman said, well, where are you going to start the work? And I said, I've been guided to start it in Santa Monica. And she said, what about, she said, what about your people? And I said, short people? <laughs> and she said, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. I didn't, I didn't mean, you know... And I said, from what I understand, uh, we're all God's people, you know, <laughs> and uh, I've been guided to start in Santa Monica, and whoever will show up will show up. And uh, as you know, Phil, because you were there, it became a very diverse, yeah. as it still is, very inclusive community. Everyone's there. So eventually I left that, founded Agape, and then um, now we're in, going into our 31st year. It's amazing. And it still carries the yeah. same rich diversity and inclusivity, probably even more now than, than before. I was actually going to be my next question, because, you know, there's this old saying that the most segregated places in the country is churches on Sunday morning. And right. agape is exactly the opposite. It's one of the most diverse gatherings of human beings you'll ever see on any given Sunday. 
And right. I was going to ask if that was by design or just happened that way. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to observe. And does that does that carry through to some of the um, uh, dimensions of the church, like the the outreach and community yeah, of programs? Course. Yeah. yeah. The, the, if you if you looked at our our uh, staff, the leadership, the practitioners. The, the diversity is there. Mm. Asians, Latinos, <laughs> blacks, whites, Jews, everybody's here. You know, straight, gay, whatever. You know, it's all here. And I would have to say that, one, it starts in consciousness. And my house growing up was very eclectic. My mother was very involved in the civil rights movement. Mm. And a lot of times our home was used as a place of planning things. And so my house was always filled with all kinds of different people. Hmm. Jewish people, white people, black people, straight people, gay people, Mexicans. You know, it was like I, so from a very young age, I grew up with this kind of uh, inclusivity that was in my home. And so when I went to junior high and high school and I would see people saying things about people of other nationalities or other sexual orientation, that was, that was strange to me because I didn't know that. You know what I mean? I, people were people as far as I was concerned. So I think in my consciousness, that was there. I, mm. I, you know, I don't have any, um, you know, there are no monolithic races. You know, everybody's unique within their particular ethnicity. And I think that uh, just who I am and then who I drew to me. It's like when I started my vision group, the vision group was made up of three different kinds of people. One, my personal clientele that used to always tell me, if you ever start something, I want to be a part of it. Two, the um, individuals that I was um, uh, doing seminars for, very inclusive group. And three, individuals that I was actually training to be practitioners, very inclusive group. So, when I, so my initial vision group from the beginning was very diverse and inclusive. Mm -hmm. so, so when I started Agape in my living room, Everybody was already in the circle. So therefore, when we began it and we reached out to our own friends and families and things like that, you know, the, the very first day, mm. everybody was there. Right. That's great. Right. Reverend Michael, and, uh, and nothing, nothing has wavered. You, you started out, you said, as an agnostic. Then you had inner experiences and you developed a faith, a belief, uh, uh, a, a presence. Uh, what, what do you say to people who are agnostic? Who don't have that faith, that don't have that belief, that uh, don't have the experiences you had. Uh, how do you right. uh, do you inspire those people? And and also, do you ever have any doubts yourself? I have no doubt. I have zero doubt. Mm -hmm. The encounters that I have had over the past thirty something years have left no doubt in my awareness mm -hmm. about a presence that's not an absence. Right. Now, generally, we do have atheists that come to Agape. Interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. And where we meet are on life-enhancing values. I remember one time doing a, a memorial service. There was a gentleman in our choir who's Jewish, whose mother was um, a part of the union, and a union organizer, and an avowed atheist. Sounds like I my met, mom. <laughs> yeah. And when, and when, I, when I met uh, mm -hmm. in, the brothers in my office, they got into a kind of an argument because... The other brothers were like, you know, my mo our mother was an atheist and she was a devout union person. She doesn't want to be having a memorial service at a church. And David was saying, no, mom used to come to Agape. <laughs> and, and, they, and they said, what are you talking about? Mom never would come to a church. But she had. She would come to Agape like a couple of times a month. 
And anyway, at the end of that conversation, what I had them all agree upon was that their mother believed in life-enhancing values, values such as love, such as peace, beauty, harmony, order, intelligence. Now, from a spiritual point of view, these are attributes of God. And so, take the God word out, we met where values were. They, they, they could not disagree that peace was a value, that love is a value, that compassion, kindness, these are all values. So as atheists, they were able to embrace these particular values, mm-hmm. and that's what I spoke to at the memorial service. And so when, if I do get into conversations with people that don't want to believe in a God, I generally say, well, I don't believe in the God you don't believe in either. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> I don't believe in that God either. I don't believe in an anthropomorphic right. man doling out blessings and, and sending people to hell. You know, I believe in a presence that, is, uh, that emanates a love, a beauty, an intelligence, a, a life itself. You know, so I generally go there. That's great. Um, Michael, tell us what the um, transdenominational uh, aspect, uh, where, where did that word come from? And uh, it's, it's a word I've always liked, and I, I don't know if you coined it, but I'd love to give you credit I, for I, it. I, I, I started using it uh, when I first began Agape. Trans means beyond, to go beyond. And denomination, you know, are the, are the different uh, fragments of different kinds of religion. You know, they have different kinds of denominations in Christianity, Buddhism, etc. So this is a trans-denominational community, which means we go, we, we go, we go beyond denomination into what tr- whatever is true, whatever is authentic, whatever is real. So in many um, spiritual commu- uh, uh, churches, there are denominations, and those denominations fragment you know, they separate people. And so we go beyond denomination, and we're always on an exploration into whatever is true, and we gain that through practice of meditation, and we have insights into what's real. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes a part of our canon, becomes a part of our practice. So, th- so since, we're going, since we're cutting across or going beyond denomination, we have people of all ilk that come here that want the truth, but they don't want it filtered through a denomination. And we also teach that each individual is to have their own encounter with the presence. You have to have your own personal revelation. You can't live off of my revelation. You can be inspired by what I say, but my inspiration is to, take, to encourage you to practice so you have your own encounter, your own revelation, your own transformation. Very good. So, um, so mm-hmm. now... That the word's been popular, you know, and, and uh, people have taken that on. I can remember in the religious science movement, I was the first one to take the word church off mm. and call it community. Say we're a spiritual community because, you know, uh, there are Buddhists that come. There, there are individuals that are, are of the, um, they go to, that practice Islam, mm-hmm. you know, people that, that they go to synagogue. Mm-hmm. And um, spiritual community embraces everyone. And so now, again, that's popular. Now, in that particular movement, they call them uh, spiritual centers. Right, you know what I mean? Right. But when I first did that, they crucified me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like called all kinds of names. You know, he's taking the church off. You know, and what's he doing? You know, and now, you know, I, 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 was, I was leading the pack. 
Well, you're in good company among the crucified. Reverend Michael, uh, what do you mean by uh, life visioning? What exactly is that? Well, life visioning is a, is a spiritual technology that allows you to become available to what's, what's trying to emerge from your soul or your spirit. The next step of your evolution. What is, what's being held in you in the mind of God? Just as, um, let's say, an acorn has within it the information to become an oak tree. Within us, as a spiritual being having a human incarnation, we have something loaded and coded already within us. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from our parents. It doesn't come from society. It's already there. Life visioning helps us become receptive to that. So like in the beginning stages of metaphysics, the, the training wheels is visualization. You know, you learn that you mm -hmm. can visualize something and see it and have a, a, a feeling, a tone about it and help manifest. That's, a, that's the beginning stages. The more the advanced stage is visioning, where instead of telling the law what you want, you actually open yourself up and ask questions that begins to cultivate your spiritual, your spiritual faculties so you hear what's within you that wants to come out. So visualization would be masculine, visioning would be more feminine, it'd be more mm -hmm. yielding, allowing, surrender, whereas a visualization is more Nike, just do it. This is what I see, this is what I want, I'm going to make it happen, you see. Mm. So, so visualization is making it happen with your mind. Visioning is making it welcome because it's already here. You just don't see it yet. Very good. Um, we should tell our listeners that uh, Life Visioning um, is the title of uh, Reverend Beckwith's latest book and CD set. And I'm sure you can find out information about that online. Um, right. They can get it from the bookstore. They can mm -hmm. go to Sounds True and get it Amazon. I, I was on Oprah recently, and she really was reading from it as she was interviewing me. And, uh, of course, the book sold out on Amazon. Yeah, well, that and, does happen. Uh, but it's back in print now. They can get it now. <laughs> Very good. Um, one of the things um, that I, I know about Agape is you have a lot of outreach. And you, you have uh, every year, <clears throat> you're involved with uh, something called the Gandhi King Season of Nonviolence. Um, and so it's not a passive spirituality, and it sounds like you probably have somehow, you know, enjoined your early civil rights yes. revolutionary <laughs> activism with your inner work and your spirituality. Can you talk a little bit about that intersection of the inner and the outer, and especially these days, we're now uh, four months into the uh, Donald Trump era. And it seems like four years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know, and you're absolutely correct. It was a nice uh, blending of, of the activism that I had as a, as a, as a young man, teenager even. You know, we would picket uh, stores that were not giving a fair deal to minorities. As a teenager, that's what I did. You know, I started... I was the founder of the Harriet Tubman Prison Committee in Atlanta, Georgia, in which we were fighting for prisoners' rights to not be slaves, to get a, a wage for the work they were doing. So, so when I started Agape, what emerged out of that and what's here now, we have a prison ministry, we have a feeding program, we have a Sacred Service Saturday event, we have programs that deal with um, the families of those who are incarcerated as well. 
uh, and we you know, we go into the, the the prisons and do uh, teachings and inspiration. Um, the Gandhi King <coughs> um, season for nonviolence. I think we're in our we were in our twentieth year of that. That emerged um, at the time. It, at the time, it was the fiftieth. Uh, memorial anniversary of Gandhi's assassination date, which was January 30th, and the 30th memorial assassination date of Dr. King, and that was April the 4th. Mm. So we decided to create a 64-day program in which people would be taught these tenets of nonviolence, ahimsa, forgiveness. And now it's gone to many, many, many countries, as well as the United States, and people, it's gone into a curriculum and school systems where people are teaching these principles, uh, mediation, compassion, forgiveness, mindfulness. Uh, there's been many uh, programs all around the United States. Uh, I can remember about three or four years ago, um, there was some violence that was happening in Chicago. And uh, it was during the season for nonviolence. And the texts and the emails went out. And within an hour... There were hundreds of people there holding prayer vigil uh, as a witness wow. to uh, the peace and stopping the violence that was going on there with the police and and that type of thing. So uh, that is uh, the Association for Global New Thought convenes that. I'm the president of that particular organization, and the, and uh, we convene that. And Arun Gandhi was one of the national chairpersons as well. And again, as you said, it was it's a nice combination of not just passively navel-gazing, but definitely uh, having a focus of realizing our oneness with the presence. But with every insight that one has, it, it does follow there's an action after that. There's some way that we behave differently, we act differently. As I teach, vision without action is a fantasy, and, and action without vision is chaos. Mm -hmm. So once you have a vision and once you start to have insights into your spiritual nature, it's going to lead you to some kind of action. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a giftedness. And so you're going to uh, end up finding your gift that you're supposed to give in the world mm -hmm. and give it. And so it's definitely not passive. Right. I, Re I, I say it's rever reverential. Re Reverend uh, Michael, thank you so very much for your time today. And uh, maybe in closing... Uh, any any advice or any word you have for folks out there, especially anybody that's feeling in their life some hopelessness? Uh, the, the, why should they have hope? What can they do to get out of that uh, feeling? Well, first of all, what I know for sure is that life always wins. <laughs> and, and, and if an individual is hopeless, depending on me, many people uh, flooded into the community after the election. They were very bereft about what, what had happened. Uh, many people have different levels of, of hopelessness. What, what I know for sure that there's a life present with, within us that's untouched and untarnished by time or history or, or even our past experience. And when we have a, a modicum of spiritual practice, we begin to get in touch with that part that's not locked in time. It begins to be the activity of our awareness and it leads and guides us into right action. And I've seen regeneration of body temples, mental bodies, emotional bodies, relationships, financial bodies, from this, when people get in contact with this presence. And so there are individuals who are very forlorn about 
what's happening at the White House. And I say that, you know, 45 is an evolutionary trigger, you know, that's basically revealing all the stuff we have to work on in the psyche of humanity. Um, there's been more overt uh, anti-Semitism and racism and since he's been in office in a long time because people feel emboldened to do these kind of things because he's in office, yet it was hidden before. Now it's coming to light mm -hmm. so it can actually be dealt with. He's also brought the peace movements who hadn't talked to each other in years, they're now meeting again. Mm. So he's actually built a very large peace movement in the United States uh -huh. uh, that is starting to become very viable and uh, strategic. So I think it's all a part of progress. You know, One of the things I mentioned on Sunday was that you know, after he bombed uh, Syria to stop them from bombing Syria uh, without congressional consent, I, I said to him, you know, appreciate that you, you're, you're, you're appreciating the, the children of Syria that, have, that are being scalded by these chemicals. You won't let them into our country, but you're, you're appreciating them. <laughs> but we also have kids that are being poisoned in our own country right there in Flint, Michigan. Mm. But water, they still don't have water there. And I said, I challenge you to take the same kind of enthusiasm, go into Flint, with your army of engineers, uh, take care of the mayor and the governor there that's done nothing. They were very criminal in their behavior and build new pipes there so these people can have some water to stop poisoning our own children, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I speak at different levels. I speak to our mysticism. I speak to the metaphysical principles. And I also try to translate that into what's going on in the world. You know, very good. Speaking of you speaking, um, people, as Dennis said when we started, all over the country have, are aware of your extraordinary speaking ability. And I, I just want to encourage people. Um, I have to tell you this: the first time I heard your name, um, someone told me about Agape sometime in the '90s. And um, the person said, you've got to hear Reverend Beckwith. He's the, he's the James Brown of spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, okay, I'll go to that. And, <laughs> and, um, um, but people, even if you're not in L.A., you can watch um, Agape oh, Live, uh, uh, live Agape, streaming. Yeah, agapelive.com. And then we're in we L.A. For anybody going to L.A.? Where and when? And, and We're headquarters in Los Angeles. We're in Culver City proper. Mm -hmm. So if they go to agapelive.com, they'll get the address at 5700 Buckingham Parkway, Culver City, 90230. And uh, people make this a destination point. We have right. three services. I have a way of meditation service that begins at 6.30 a.m. And then we have another service that begins at 8.30 and another service that begins at 11. And uh, then we have a Wednesday evening service as well. Uh, 645 meditation, 715 service, and we have a Sunday evening service. So thousands of people come through here during the week, and we have a large viewership around the world. Uh, people watch it live, or they go onto the archives and watch it. And uh, it's very, it's very large right. and growing. We'll, we'll Thanks for taking this. the time. Thank you so very much, Reverend Michael. Absolute pleasure having you on, and uh, uh, we look forward in the future to having you back. 
uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith. Thank you so very much. It's my joy being with you both and continue to have a bright and magnificent day. Thank you for the good work you guys are doing. Okay. Okay. Keep up the good work to yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much.